business is really fucking hard and especially hospitality like it's hard to make money but we really love what we do so we've kind of forgo a lot of other things so that we can keep doing what we love this is the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep Although the focus on food waste has been in the spotlight in recent years, there are some that have been at the forefront of change for many years. In a world where everything is disposable, convenience is king, and our social construct feeds off the no responsibility mentality, what steps do we need to take to make change and reduce waste for a better environment? Alex Elliot Howry is the co-owner of Cornersmith and author of Use It All. Alex, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Huck. You've been really at the forefront of a drive focused on um, food waste and getting the maximum out of everything that you use for quite some time now. Um, There's been a shift towards that, but what's it been like sort of having the roots there for a long time and seeing the attention focused on it a bit more? Um, well, always, I guess it's not, you know, I didn't invent it and it's, <laughs> while it is my, my personal journey, it is not my, you know, it's one of those um, things that you want to grow. You want other people to be doing it. You want to spread the word because that feels like that's what the benchmark is and that's what success is. So it's been awesome watching it um, grow and evolve and I guess also, you know, strengthening my vision around it over the last 10 years, 12 years, however long it's been, um, has been really uh, great as well. So it's helped me, it, watching it grow in the public has helped me grow my vision around it as well. What's What's been some of the challenges in changing that mindset and changing habits? Yeah, look, I think changing habits is exactly what it is because no one really wants to waste food or wants to, you know, use up extra resources. It's just that people don't quite know how to do it. Um, So I think, and I think changing habits is quite difficult. So I think the challenge for me has been really trying to get into people's heads and their kitchens, I guess, in a really um, user-friendly, easy, accessible way. I really didn't, I mean, I mean, maybe when I started out this, I was a bit more idealistic about it, but now I also feel like we've got to look at what the realities of people's lives is, especially in urban areas, and find ways to make good changes, whether that like environmental changes actually seem really easy. So that's been like the focus for the last few years is how to like just make it as simple as possible. So really there's no, it's not even changing a habit. There's kind of no excuse because you make it so manageable for people. What was food like for you growing up? Can you take us back to when you were young and what food meant to your family? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I um, grew up in a really beautiful um, household, a share house with my mum and her two best um, gay mate, gay mates. So um, I come from a, you know, a unconventional family uh, model, I guess. But it was a um, household that was full of lots of love and lots of laughs and lots of food. So I think for me, food became really, it was really important, but it was really joyful. There was not... Um, 
sort of a lot of restrictions around food. So it was a very happy place in that way. There was lots of sharing at food. We always had to sit at the table and eat dinner together and tell stories and share food. And I was very involved in um, the process of cooking food, I guess, without, you know, I wasn't, uh, I just, it was just something that was done around me all the time. So, you know, I would be the one that was popping the skins off almonds when my mum was making, I don't even know what she was making now that I think of it, but you know, like the little, <laughs> the little jobs that I, you know, thought were kind of fun. Um, and everyone in the house loved food and we came together a lot and they were big um, hosts. So my house was full of, people for dinner or, you know, meals or parties all the time. So I think I probably grew up with the love of food without even really realising it. Mm. When was when was that light bulb moment that you wanted to head down the path career-wise in regards to food? Look, it was purely accidental. I was, I kind of like, my family loved food so much that I also was like, I'm never going to be in food, you know, like I, like my children, like my teenagers say now. Um, and I think that that was just, you know, trying to find your own, trying to find my own feet really. Um, but I was always gravitated to the kitchen. And I guess when I moved out and in share houses, I kind of became the person that, you know, someone always is the one that cooks all the meals. So I kind of became that person in all the share houses that I lived in and I guess kind of have a nurturing personality. So it's all tied up in that for me as well. And, um, I think I just felt really comfortable with food and in the kitchen and I, you know, loved so much of that bringing people, bringing people together and feeding people. And, you know, I still love that so much. So I don't really know. I think I uh, didn't really make a decision in some ways. I was, I had different visions. I was, you know, I went to art school. I was started my, um, postgraduate in museum curatorship, like I was on a different path. And then I had my babies pretty young, like I was 25, which, you know, I mean, he's not a child, but in Sydney, in the urban areas, it was, it's kind of young and none of my friends had babies. And I was home with kids, like when I was 27, I had two little kids. So I, I guess I was feeding them a lot because that's what you do when you're a stay-at-home parent is you just make endless, endless food. Um, <laughs> I think that, and you know, it kind of doesn't always get eaten. And I think I started thinking about um, that I, it, the weekly cycle is what, like looking back on it, I started thinking about that weekly cycle. Like I was going to the supermarket or the markets or, you know, wherever I was shopping and, buying a big shop, coming home, filling up the pantry, just trying to, it was like another job, like get food in the house. And then I've, you know, I always loved cooking and love, you know, was taught to cook from scratch. So I've always done that and cooked a lot. And then, you know, you'd get to the end of the week and there'd be just heaps of shit left in the fridge that I really was throwing away without much thought. And, you know, I'm quite a, I grew up in the inner city of Sydney. I guess I'm, you know, kind of come from an environmental-ish kind of background, but nothing major. And I was just throwing food away without even thinking about it. So then once I started thinking about that a bit more, I was like, oh, hang on. This is not good. This is happening a lot. And I was home, so I was actually seeing it. I wasn't rushing out the door and doing a million other things and someone else taking the garbage out, you know, like I was kind of over the whole, the whole thing. So I realized that was a big problem. And then I couldn't stop thinking because I'm a bit obsessive, Huck. I'm like a, like once I get on the, the path of something, I can't stop thinking about it. 
So I started thinking about, fuck, I'm throwing away this much food. Imagine the neighbours, imagine the people down the road. And then like suddenly I'm like on top of Australia just looking at all of the food waste that's going into the bin. So I guess that was kind of... I'm segueing here, but I guess that was kind of the turning point for me of going, hang on. It wasn't a career choice. It was a, it was definitely a personal domestic choice of going, hang on, this is not good. This has got to change. And then once I realized that I was kind of interested in that, I just like read heaps of books and um, listen to lots of, I don't know, information. Did podcasts even exist then? Probably not. Listen to lots of stuff and found out information and just like went back and read all the cookbooks that kind of engaged me. And I was like, ah, our food system is fucked. Got to do something about that. And so I guess that was kind of, it wasn't a decision, a career choice because I was a baby. I didn't know about a career yet. I was just kind of doing something in my household. And I guess that's where the journey began. Well, Cornersmith um, really changed our views on what an everyday sort of eatery was in Sydney when it arrived. There was a, this wonderful, organic, natural sort of homely feel about what was happening there. Mm. Tell us about the creation of, of Cornersmith. Yeah, it's, it was also a really nice time to talk about it. Um, we're coming up to 10 years, actually. We'll be at the wow. end of this year. Yeah, I know, since we started that. And um, I've recently just turned 40, so it's been like a, a really big decade of my life, I guess. Um, and I've been so busy with Cornersmith and that I forget to look at what it was. So thank you, because that's a really nice kind of time for me to think about it. But um yeah, I was home with the kids um, and I was obsessively thinking about food waste and sustainability and how to make the best choices. And hang on, you want the long version of this, don't you, Huck? Absolutely. <laughs> yep. okay, <good. laughs> so I was thinking about all these things and decided that I needed to massively change the way that we were eating at home. So I decided that nothing was going to be from the major supermarkets. Nothing was going to be out of season because if you want to make one good choice, you need to eat seasonally. I like I was, you know, thinking about packaging. I was doing research on all the companies that, you know, the big companies and trying to figure out who I wanted to support because it's, you know, you've got to put your money where your mouth is. And figuring out how to eat the best for the not only for my family but also for the environment and um that really captured me and my attention and what came out of that was preserving for me so i went oh hang on food waste is a huge issue other cultures must deal with this as well and then i was like oh they valued food so much they never throw anything in the bin whereas we have such a throwaway culture that I was like, oh, that's what preserving is. Like I hadn't really joined all the dots yet. I just thought pickling was kind of cute, you know. So I went, okay, this is why people do this. And my um, partner James is a loves gardening but like likes to do like one giant crop. So it was like all zucchinis. And kids don't eat zucchinis. Like they hate them. So it kind of made me go, okay, I can like give this a go. And I pickled some zucchinis and they were delicious. And that was a big light bulb moment for me. And then once I got that bug, couldn't stop and like read every preserving book there is known to man and made everything that there was and really realised that this is a thing that we need in 
you know, urban, busy, contemporary life. Like it needs to not be nostalgic. It needs to not be from our grandmothers. You know, like not that kind of old school, just cuteness, I guess. It needs to be, it needs to be part of our working kitchens. So I just obsessively pickled and preserved. Um, my partner, James, has always been in the, um, well, he's like gardening background and permaculture is his in his heart, but he's been a hospital worker forever. And he was coming up to the point of going, maybe I just want to have my own thing. Maybe I'm sick of working for other people. And I was like, look, I've got two more children. I'm not 30 yet. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I do really like this preserving kind of stuff. So we put our heads together and we're like, Fuck, should we just do it? Like, should we try to make the kind of place that we would love to be on our corner, like the, the cafe that you just want to have on the corner of your street. And once we kind of started talking about it, we were just really into it and really excited and felt like we might as well give it a shot. And James, it was like, it's just kind of that simple. There's no, there's no big story other than I was loving pickling. James was ready to do his own thing. And we really wanted to make, a shop that we wanted to go to, which was good food, good vibes, good coffee. But because I had done all my obsessing, obsessive research, I was like, there's got to be something behind it that's bigger than that. It's got to be better than just a Sydney cafe experience. So that's how Cornersmith got born, I guess. How hard was it translating this sort of food message um, through the cafe and, and making a viable business as well? Um, look, that's still very hard, actually, <laughs> um, 10 years in. Um, it is. It was getting the message across was not hard because we wanted to do it in, look, I truly think like we had a really simple message. We didn't overthink anything. We've never made a business plan. Like we had a big piece of paper and a Sharpie, you know, and just kind of wrote down all the things that were important to us. And we opened in Marrickville, which is also actually is our neighbourhood. So I think that really was a difference is that not, we're not, it's sincere. Like we took something that was really important to us. We opened it in an area that we know and we know the community. And so I think that's why there was interest in it. But I also think we opened at a time where Marrickville was um, massively changing. There was lots of new, um, you know, um, it's, stayed it's has stayed which is amazing about it like very Vietnamese and very Greek and that's what's so awesome about it and that's what's given it such great food culture um, is that multiculturalism but there was new families that were moving in and so they were looking for a little bit of city I guess a little bit of new town or whatever like something else so it was kind of the right time at the right place and getting the message across was not that hard because we did it really gently. Like I wasn't as loud and proud then as I am now about just telling people what I think. So we kind of hid a little bit behind good food, home cooking, um, nice vibes, we're into the community, and the message just was there gently, I guess. Um, so I didn't want to ram a big kind of eco-philosophy down anyone's throat. Like that comes that comes behind everything else, I guess. What was the food and offering like in, in those days? Can you tell us about what you were doing? Yeah, it's it's it was – you're right. It was homey. It was the kind of stuff that I like to eat. Um, it was simple, incredibly seasonal, which we still are. Um, 
And it was lots of all my preserves that I'd filled up the garage with and didn't know on earth what to do with because I'd made so many jars of things. Um, And then we were really big on finding makers that we really valued what they were doing. So we would, you know, uh, have, you know, everything, like the butter we were really into it being from someone who really cared about butter and the meat was really, you know, really ethical, really free range, very simple food, I think, like good quality seasonal produce, pickles and preserves, um, some kind of protein, whether that's egg or cheese or a bit of meat and lots and lots of seasonal veg. So that my philosophy around food hasn't changed since then. I'm not into fancy food, just really... Really good, delicious, you know, things that can stand on their own. Was there anything that surprised you about running a hospitality business that you weren't aware of prior to jumping in? Oh, God, the whole thing. And still now. Um, Look, to be honest, James is, um, you know, he'd been in hospitality for a really long time. And I, like, waitressed my way through um, uni, but um, was not a full hospo, seasoned hospo person. But James really is. So while I... Um, very much, you know, the creative behind Cornersmith. Like, I don't know how to write the rosters or even use the till or turn the alarm on. So I'm, we are definitely a double act. Like it's, you know, it wouldn't be Cornersmith without either of us, but it actually wouldn't be a business without James. So I do just want to give him a little shout out as well. Um, so Yes, everything surprised me. Um, I think what I liked and I wasn't expecting was the intensity that we have with our customers and still now, like, they're so amazing and so, um, you know, we feel very connected with our community and our customers and especially at Marrickville because it was our neighbourhood and it did feel a little bit um, like we'd started something new that I wasn't expecting, you know, and I think I only can say that now looking back on it at the time, I probably didn't feel comfortable to say that, but it did feel a bit, like I don't want to use the word groundbreaking because it's not right, but it feel, it did feel there was this like buzz around it or something that was, that was pretty, that was pretty nice. And I wasn't, I wasn't expecting to have those feelings, but I think what, you know, like business is really fucking hard and especially hospitality, like it's hard to make money. But we really love what we do. So we've kind of forgo a lot of other things so that we can keep doing what we love. You encourage the trading of produce grown by your customers. How did that come about? And are there some special stories related to that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that started actually when, again, when I was at home with the kids when they're little and the neighborhood that we live in, there's lots of. Um, Greek families. So there's olive trees and there's citrus trees in every second house. And um, I would walk around with the babies when they were tired and just start, I was just noticing the neighborhood, I guess. And I was bored. Like I was just in my twenties and at home, but I was so just going on lots of walks and looking around. And I noticed, I guess I was starting to think about, you know, food and food waste. And I started noticing all these citrus trees actually dropping their fruit or figs dropping their fruit because um, either, you know, the families that had planted these trees have moved out or not there anymore and people didn't know what to do with it. Um, so, 
you know, like my Greek neighbours, they have nets over their fig trees or they, every single olive is picked from that tree. Whereas, you know, other, if another family came in, they might not actually know what to do with that produce. So I was thinking about that and I was like, all oh, this stuff's dropping on the ground. And that is, there's a massive amount of food growing in my neighbourhood. So I started knocking on people's doors because I'm a lunatic, wow. actually. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I live around the, I mean, we didn't have the cafe. I was just like some crazy lady we i just i live in the neighborhood i always put the kids so it wasn't like i wasn't just entirely insane um and i can see that all your kumquats are dropping would you mind if i picked them or would you like to give them to me or whatever and yeah when i think back on it like what a mad woman but what it (laughs) Most people were 100% like, thank God, someone is here to take this rotting food off my hands that I have been feeling guilty about every single day. So they would very happily say, come back tomorrow and I'll get my, you know, son to pick everything or whatever it was. And I would come back and, or, you know, I'd keep the kids in the pram and I'd climb up the tree and pick everything and take it home. And then that's kind of how I taught myself how to preserve because I was like, I actually have so much stuff. I actually have to get through it. I have to learn what to do with this. So pickled and preserved my heart away. And if it was good, I'd drop a jar back to the person whose tree it was, which kind of made me build up a relationship with people I would never speak to in my neighborhood. And then a lot of people gave me recipes of their grandmothers or gardening tips or, you know, we kind of talked about food in a way that you just don't with your neighbors particularly. And I didn't know what I was doing, but there was something in that that I was like, this feels good. This feels like what should be happening in the city. Um, Yeah. So I guess that's how the trading started. And when we opened the cafe, I was like, what if we tried that? And I don't even think Instagram existed then. So I just wrote a sign up in the front window. And the next day there was a basket of pumpkins on the doorstep before we, before we opened the doors and I cried. I was so happy. And then from there I was like, this is cool. So there was this guy who lived across the road who was a suit. He worked in the city and he'd get his coffee from us every morning. And he would bring us in a giant bag of rocket because his kid had thrown the seeds all in the garden and basically there was no grass, there was just rocket. And he was just like, what on earth am I going to do with this stuff? So he would bring us a giant bag. James would give him his coffee for free and that would be the rocket that was on our sandwich that day. So that was kind of, I don't know, it was just cool really when I look back on that that it just evolved the neighborhood was so into it um and that grew and grew and grew which really started the picklery which we opened a couple of years after the cafe and that's where we did all our pickling and preserving and you know dealt with honestly one winter we traded a ton like a literal ton of um citrus so yeah you're an amazing supporter of local producers. How important are those relationships to you and, and what you're doing? Yeah, look, they're really important and, you know, may, and, and continue to be really important to us. Um, it started because when we opened the cafe, I really wanted everything to be as not just as, um, you know, from growers that we believed in but as local as possible so the first thing that we did I was like honey I think we can we're in the city we could probably have honey and I found these great people called the urban beehive that were just starting their business as well and um, putting uh, beehives on rooftops 
in the city. And so I rang them up and put my name down to have one. And, you know, the building worked and it all kind of, all the stars aligned. So we had um, a beehive on the rooftop of the cafe in Marrickville. And I guess I was so into these Doug and Vicky who run that company and just realised how important it is to know where your food comes from, who's helping to get that food to you and supporting people that you think are doing a great thing. So, yeah, look, that's still really, really important to me and everyone that we work with I really like and, you know, like what they do and we choose them for a reason, I guess. Classes and educating people has been a real key key feature of what you've done over the last decade. Tell us a bit about that and and do you have any stories of um, strange classes and experiences that you've had over the years? <laughs> my whole, my, the, whole, the last 10 years has been a whole lot of stories and strange experiences. Um, yes. So to probably t- we had the cafe for a couple of years and we I would close it on Mondays for pickling and preserving, which was like, business like a disaster basically because there's no income coming in on a a day that could be really busy but I was determined that we had to have this pickling stuff going on and um, that just people got really interested in our pickles and were loving them and you know they could see us making them on a Monday and then they'd come in and buy them and they'd all be gone and it was kind of kind of exciting and kind of annoying so I thought we need to expand this because I can't just me myself make 20 jars and then it's all gone again so a little shop a little butcher shop came up for lease up the road and um it was on another corner and it was cute and rent was relatively cheap so I came home to James and I was like we need to open a picklery and he was like you are a fucking lunatic but all right let let us let us give it a go so we opened um really know how to describe it but I wanted it to be a place where people could come in and talk about food where they could trade their excess produce where they could buy pickles and they could learn something um and I didn't really know what that meant yet but I guess that was the start of our cooking school and it took a little while but we started running classes there and we were um, our first um, teacher. I mean, I was teaching pickling classes and our first teacher was Kristen Allen, who is amazing Sydney cheesemaker and my very, very dear friend who I met through the food, the food scene. And yeah, so the Cornersmith cooking school kind of began and I started that because I felt like I've got all this information now. Like I know how to preserve food. I know why it's so important. There's food that is rotting in backyards across Australia probably. I've got to teach people how to do this. And I've got to make it like no judgment to the Country Women's Association. They do incredible work, but it needs an update. You know, like it needs to feel like city people can do it. Um, And so I thought... I will just run a few classes and see what happens. And like I like still now, how many years later, eight years later, I cannot put enough pickling classes on. People just, I uh, just so many pickling classes. So the education has become more and more important to me. Like, yes, we still have a cafe and sure, like we give people breakfast and coffee, but I am less interested in figuring out what people want to eat for breakfast and more interested in actually changing how people operate in their kitchens at home, whether that's domestic or hospitality as well. So our little cooking school got 
bigger and bigger and has been I like really for me one of the most in you know important parts of Corner Smith because I feel like I'm making change and they you know they come to the classes and it's like a it's like a cult now it's kind of a bit full on at times like they just come to all the classes come to everything and you know but we have people that cry like they're just it's kind of a yeah it's sort of a I don't know I don't really know how to describe it Huck it feels weird but it's like a um people get very um moved and inspired to make change and we've lost passing down information about food it's not in our culture in the way it is in a lot of other cultures so like really I shouldn't be the one that's teaching people how to preserve I've been doing it for a relatively short period of time it should be being passed down in families but it 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 got lost somewhere so that 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 is that is a nice feeling to have a place where we're you know reinvigorating tradition I guess around food and food food culture you started with uh, Marrickville and it was in your local um, suburb. Uh, you created Annandale. Tell us a bit about um, how that came about. Um, I didn't really want to have another cafe. Like we had the cafe, we had the pickery, the cooking school and two small children, like too much really. And we're trying to stay married. So we had a lot going on and um I don't know why we did it. Like James got itchy feet maybe a bit. No, actually I remember. So a customer came in and gave one of our staff members a little like then phone number and said, I think I've found a, the next space for you. And this staff member like scrunched it up and put it in his pocket and I don't know, a week passed. And then he pulled out this like ripped up bit of paper and gave it to James. And James I didn't know why, but when, because we get people call still now all the time and say, I want you to open Cornersmith on my street. Here's this building. Um, but it's, he went to have a look at it and he called me from out the front and he was like, it's perfect. And because I'm a bit of an asshole, I actually hung up the phone. I was like, I don't want anything more. I'm done. I'm at capacity. But we, I then somehow he drove me past it and it is, it's a really, beautiful location. It's opposite a park. It's in another neighborhood that's not far from us. Like we don't, it's, it's got to be close to our house. Otherwise we can't manage. Um, and, but what the, the challenge for us is that Merrick, Annandale isn't Merrickville. Like it's a completely, it's close, but it's a different, it's a whole different community, a whole different vibe. So we needed to make it a cornersmith that was for that community, not for Merrickville. So it's a bit more like the grown up version, I guess. And it's a really beautiful space and we love it and we're so happy to be in that neighbourhood. It's nice that in some ways that it's not our neighbourhood because that's sometimes it's hard to run a business in your own, you know, backyard. Um, so that's kind of nice as well. It's like we're like a, a one step removed, maybe emotionally. I don't know. Um, and it's it's nice. It's really great. We're really we really love it. It was hard running three businesses because we had the two cafes and the cooking school. Um, and that's why we made the decision to sell the Marrickville one a couple of years ago. It was kind of a personal decision that we need to downsize. We need to not have as much going on so that we can, our mental health can be okay <laughs> and, our, and our children can be okay. You've been on the most extraordinary food journey for the last 15 years. How much has it changed you? That's a really good question. Um, 
I guess a lot. I guess a lot and not a lot, you know. Um, I feel like we are just the same as when we first started. I guess we're a bit more confident now, but it's always, um, you know, we're always learning and figuring out stuff. And um, I don't know, I think everyone in hospitality kind of knows, like you're so busy just in it day to day all the time that you forget to look at what you've done and what you've made and what you've achieved. And it's, you know, it's when you stop to do things like that and like this and tell your story that you're like, sheesh, I've done a lot. Um, but I don't know, maybe a little bit more tired. <laughs> um, but I feel, I feel good like we feel good like we made we started out with a little kind of tiny idea to see what was happen and it's grown into something that's I feel really proud of and that I think um you know is recognized as a important um food business in Sydney or maybe more now um and yeah I don't know I don't know how to answer that without being a bit weird <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll use it all as your third book, and it's all about um, sort of a more sustainable kitchen. Um, it's a it's quite a, a long tome, but is there um, some tips, you know, to make that easy transition for people to start changing their mindset that you can share? Yeah, sure. So, um, use it all is um, my colleague and friend, Jamie Edwards, um, who has worked with us since the very beginning, like the first day of Cornersmith. And wow. she, um, I know, that's a decade worth of employeeship. Um, <laughs> so really it's like she's not, you know, she's not uh, financially part of the business, but she is as much part of the cooking school and um, as I am, you know, we, we started that together. And Jamie now runs the cooking school and teaches a lot of cooking classes. So she and I wrote that cookbook together. And really, she and I, for the, she has young kids and we met before Cornersmith and, um, you know, felt like we were the only two people in the world that were 25 with a baby. And um, we've spent the last 15 years talking about food together and talking about what was for dinner and like kind of complaining about it and also kind of loving it. So I guess that book is a, it's a real kind of um, collection of those conversations about how do you get food on the table when you work full time, when you're raising children, that feels like it's good for everyone to eat. It's sustainable because that's really important to us both but also doesn't break us you know because like I get home from work at five o'clock six o'clock like most working parents um I don't have something on the stove all day long I can't like when they were little it was much easier to be making my own yogurt and you know everything from scratch I don't I don't have that luxury now so how to do all of this stuff in a way that feels really simple and really manageable so my first piece of advice is to not try and do everything. Like I tried to do everything and almost had a nervous breakdown. Like everything was from scratch and it was mental. Like, and it's not actually, that's not how communities that 
completely a self-reliant work either. There's someone who does this thing and there's someone who makes the bread and there's, you know, so it doesn't work that there is one person in the house just doing everything from scratch. So my main piece of advice is to choose something that you're interested in. So if that is that you'd like to learn how to make sauerkraut or if that's that you'd like to learn how to dehydrate, I don't know, herbs, like choose something really simple, learn how to do it, fall in love with it and um do it so much that it just becomes part of your, like making a cup of tea, you know, like it becomes so easy to you that you don't have to think about it. And then you kind of can add like, huh, I've heard that you can make vinegar out of apple scraps. And you're like, oh, maybe I'll give that a go. And then that kind of becomes part of your, like, even if that takes six months, like don't do it all in one go because it won't work and you'll give up. Um, and then quickly, quite quickly, you find, oh, none of this stuff actually takes very long. Like that's actually putting on an apple scrap vinegar is, I'm going to even say under five minutes. Um, like, so you know what I mean? Like it's like realising that none of this stuff is hard. It doesn't take, it's not very time consuming. Um, and if you can, you know, after you've, if you make an apple crumble and you've got scraps left over, put it in a jar, add some water, Started off with a little bit of apple cider vinegar and add some sugar. That's it. And then you just let that sit and eventually vinegar turns into vinegar. You know, so I think that's my advice is to go slow, do things, do little projects that interest you. And then it does, it's quite quickly that you're like, do you know what? I never ever buy passata anymore or canned tomatoes that are imported. I know that I just make enough in the summer months that I've got it. So whatever little thing it is that's going to make you love making sustainable choices in the kitchen, do that. Um, my next piece of advice is to buy less food because I think we have got too much access to everything all the time and you go to the supermarket and you just kind of grab everything a bit thoughtlessly or because it looks good or, you know, and food is not like we can, a lot of us, not everyone, I also want to just point out that is that it's you know we can afford to buy food and throw it away so we need to buy less and not even give the option um, of throwing food away so I am not someone who's like you've got to have a meal plan and you've got to da -da, stick to this um, because I don't operate like that but I just don't buy very much food and now I mean my teenagers complain about it endlessly but Having less food in the house actually means nothing goes in the in the bin. And that doesn't mean that you're being cheap or you're being, you know, it, there's not generosity or, you know, delicious, like, you know, bountiful food on the table. It just means that you don't need to have as much sitting around in the house at one time. Well, Alex, you're a legend and it's an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Thanks for um, having me on there. Sorry, that was a lot of rambling, a lot of talking. Haven't talked to anyone for ages. <laughs> <laughs> we love talkers on deep in the weeds. Okay, good. <laughs> um, please, please keep in touch, and uh, we'd love to catch up again soon. Thanks so much, Huck. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.